The funny thing about chaos is that the crazier it gets, the more clearly we see our disorders. This is my conversation with Jessica Entner. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. Okay, welcome to the show. My guest today is a longtime friend and colleague, Jessica Entner. Jessica is the founder of Gem Music Strategy and Production. Gem is a full-service music agency specializing in branded entertainment and advertising. And we'll talk more about the advertising biz today, and I have some exciting news to share from my end about that. But Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting and I'm excited to catch up with you. It has been quite some time, so I'm sure we have a it, lot to do. It has been. I was reading your website and I'm going to read for the audience the first paragraph because there are some things in there that I didn't know. And so I want, I want to start with those. Founder and executive creative producer. I should give this more of a, since I have my mic right here, I should give you, give you more of a, of a professional reading. Founder and executive creative producer, Jessica Entner has been all of the following at some point. An actor, a songwriter, a singer, a music supervisor, executive producer, a partner in a production company, a game show contestant, a wife, a mom, and a wannabe stand-up comedian, sometimes all at the same time time. So I gave it kind of a game show read. I appreciate Let's start that. with the game show contestant thing. What game show were you on? I was on several. And this is actually a great conversation starter because not only have okay. I been on several game shows, my favorite and best job ever was when I was 12 years old and I was hired by KTLA and Funhouse, the game show to test all the stunts and Funhouse was like J.D. Roth, who's now gone on to be like a huge producer director. He was the guest, was the host and the show was like Double Dare. So that was my, I, every Thursday they paid me 10 bucks to roll around in chocolate syrup and legitimately <laughs> the best job I've ever had. But after that, I was like, these game shows are amazing. So I was on Funhouse when I was 12 lost even though i tested all the all, the, all of oh, the yeah. um, all of all of the uh, stunts out i still lost and then right. i was on a show with my best friend called busted which was a best friend like newlywed busted. Game show. okay and the worst part about it was for whatever reason like they would get information about your significant other your best friend and the questions they asked me provoked some of the like worst answers. So everything that my best friend had to answer was like something about her having a mustache like, and a boy running away from her because he didn't want yeah. to kiss her and all of these answers. And she's sitting there like answering with this terrible look on her face of, 
am I really going to answer this with my mustache? Like that's the answer. And you'd have to hit each other over the head with a, (laughs) with a plastic fish. Oh, it was just, yeah. So I was on that. And then I was on one last one when I was 19 called don't forget your toothbrush, which was on for a while. It was kind of like a, let's make a deal. Okay. And they dressed my dad up as a woman. Okay. Oh, that wasn't a dating. That wasn't a dating game. No, they basically, it was like a, like a, let's make a deal. And at the end of it, if you, um, somebody would get sent on a trip, like immediately leaving the studio, which of course, as we know, is just Hollywood magic. It didn't happen like that. But the other thing that was in the bio was this wannabe stand-up comedian thing, which as you know, I am a stand-up comedian. I don't want to be, but <laughs> you inspired <laughs> but, me, but I am, but Okay, well, I did not know this. So, so, so tell you. I mean, I've always known you'd be really funny, and we've had great times together and laughed a lot. But, but tell me, tell me what what happened. I was, um, I was looking for a new hobby. No, a good friend of mine had taken a class, and like the final for the class was a performance at the Ha Ha Comedy Club in Burbank. So oh, I went. Yeah. yeah. And I saw all of these people get up and their sets were awesome. And I was, you know, I didn't know what to expect. My friends like, I'm doing stand up, like, okay, hilarious, like tears rolling out of my eyes. And I was kind of, you know, curious. So I reached out to Jerry Katzman, who's the guy who runs the classes and they're really small and they're curated. And he, you know, you have to kind of write like some ideas down before you even get accepted. So I, I got a chance to do that and I'm like, oh, he's not, you know, I'm not funny. And really what it ended up being was a writing class. So everybody left with an amazing set and you really workshopped all of the jokes and you have people commenting and bringing different things to the table or really just working on. And you don't, I don't think any of us realize until you're doing it or you have this idea to be a standup that just crafting a joke is so specific. Like... I don't, I think I used to think people used to just get up and be funny, right? That's not at all what happens. Like I think Jerry Seinfeld in his documentary said that he had workshopped a joke for 10 years before he actually went on stage and performed it live. Like it's just, there's certain things that you have to refine the way you word it, the way that you relate to people, the way you act it out. So that's what I learned. And, you know, I did this right before the pandemic. So I performed at the comedy store twice. I I was ready to take on like a bunch of shows and then the world imploded. And I got, you know, I got to to write lots of jokes that I never actually crafted into anything. So I have like a giant book of COVID material. Oh, and now the COVID material is stuff that you're now questioning, oh, is it too old to use now? Like, is it, is COVID still something to be you know, doing material about, or do people yeah. really not hear about COVID? I think at this point, it's just, yeah, there's like nothing you can say that hasn't been said about it. Cause we're now on the other, we're, we're not on the other side, but we're on the, what we, the other side of the pandemic where God forbid, you know, we, we have to go into lockdown again, but we haven't, we'll have something else. Monkeypox is a yeah. new one. What's My, the I other did, one that's brewing somewhere? Right. Monkeypox. Like, I don't oh. want to hear what the other one is. I don't know. I, we'll all I, do. I wrote some COVID jokes when I was planning to get back on stage a little while ago. My my only joke that I could recall that I that I wrote was that 
that I looked at the silver lining of COVID because at my age, it was a great opportunity to blame everything that was wrong with me on COVID. Like if I had, a, if I had aches and pains, COVID. If I had short-term memory loss, COVID. You know, back oh problems, God. long COVID. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. financial problems, COVID. So it was totally. like, everything, totally. could be, everything could be attributable to COVID. You know, it is funny because I but, actually um, had a lot of silver linings during COVID. I really did. It was it was one of those yeah. times where yeah, let's talk silver linings. We, yeah, I mean, look, we you you know, truth does taste funny, and I think COVID kind of served it up to all of us in a giant spoonful. So we were yeah all collectively. I don't know if swearing is a bad thing, but F fucked. We were fucked. All of us, we were really screwed from that. And it was yeah, hard as a parent. If you were single, if you were working, if you were not working, like no one got out of the pandemic, you know, with flying colors, like maybe some people that invested quite yeah. wisely, but like the majority of us were really kind of coming to terms with our own mental health. And a lot of people had not done that yet. And I think, the silver lining of post pandemic is that everyone is approaching life with a lot more humility and a lot more vulnerability, which was needed. It also drove a lot of people crazy and we have extremism everywhere, but I think that was going to happen no matter what. And we don't have to get into politics, but it is one of those like collectively yeah. we all were feeling the ramifications of being locked down and I had, I had, you know, I have a couple Whoa. single friends who really had a hard time. I know a lot of parents that had a really hard time. So, no, it was not better for anybody, you know? No, and in fact, you know, as I've talked about on this show with some of my guests have brought up, we're, we're going to see the repercussions in our kids, you know, and in ourselves for years to come, but... But the thing about being fucked, and we can't we can't say it on the on the show because I, I have an explicit explicit rating for this show. Because I, I don't, swear, I don't like don't a always truck use driver. The, <laughs> yeah, I don't use the the fucking thing all the time, but it's good to have it. But basically, because we were fucked, it was like you know you had a chance to get real with yourself, and so at the same time that the world was swinging left and right you know, politically and, and in, in so many ways, still, I, I have a feeling that, that some people had to reckon with their own, with at least their mental health, yeah. their well-being, their family stuff, whether they liked doing the work that they were doing and wanted to try something else. So I think, I think there's, there's been a lot of, you know, chance to evolve. I think I honestly, I mean, I think that that you said it best. It is. It was a chance for all of us to evolve, whether that means, you know, per personally and collectively in that kind of mental health awareness way, because I think a lot of people did come to terms with that in, in, a, in a shocking way. Like I had a couple friends that all of a sudden, you know, were having severe panic attacks and depression episodes, and they had never had that before because, you know, they were always on the move. And it's almost like when you're forced to sit with yourself you really get to know who you are. And if I can go into a long-winded thing real quick, <laughs> real quick, long-winded, full of oxymorons. Um, a long-winded thing, but yeah, but do the, do the, do the full-on long-winded, go as windy, 
let's go as long as you want and we'll we'll add a note in here afterwards we'll see whether we have to edit or not or short it, shorten it Perfect. shorten it down but um, but just go ahead go as long as you want you can go for three four hours right now I the totally following would. has been edited for brevity <laughs> so it's totally one thing i'm never lacking is conversation but i feel like the the oh so right before covid i, I keep calling it covid right before the pandemic right before the lockdown we were personally going through a lot of stuff at home Right. My son was in his first grade year. He was struggling. He was coming home from school saying he wished he wasn't here. He wished he was dead. He was having a really hard time. He had a teacher just turn his light off. This woman should probably not be teaching children, but LAUSD, what are you going to do? And I have lots of thoughts about public school now, which I did not have before. Um, <laughs> but we did have an amazing principal at my child's public school. So there were some issues that were happening both in the classroom and outside the classroom that were very challenging. And my son connected with the principal where he would go and have lunch with her. Like he would go, Miss Johnson, you want to have lunch with me? And he'd go and have lunch with her. So she adored him and she saw him for who he really was. And I requested an IEP and there was a situation that had happened the same week. So she was able to expedite it and lo and behold, it comes back with like, after, you know, a couple months, they take a, psycholo a psychologist sits with him, watches him in the classroom and literally everyone was like super charismatic, clearly has ADHD because he, he, he's, all of his thoughts come at once. He's hyperactive so he's got the bounce and if you are watching me move I also fidget quite a bit so yeah. as we're discovering all of this about my son it was very stressful it was very stressful on my marriage it was very stressful dealing I had already started looking at private schools because I immediately knew with the way that that teacher was dealing with my son that that is going to be the typical response she basically said we don't have enough resources to deal with him not doing his worksheets. But they were also like still using behavior charts, which is has literally been scientifically proven that it's humiliating to children to have their, their, their it's like a, it's like the opposite of building self-esteem and social emotional well-being. It's chastising and shaming somebody publicly. So the fact that she yeah. was still using those and those had been like outdated since the nineties, I was in shock. I came to school one day for an IEP meeting because if there's anything I like to do, it's research and hyper-focus on a subject. Again, learn this later that this is part of yeah, my ADHD, I but I come to school with like a stack of papers going, read this. And the principal, like she got it. And uh, we decided that that was just not the right place for us to be. And we're crossing our fingers that we got accepted into a private school. And the week before COVID uh, lockdown, we get a phone call from, we, we didn't get accepted to any of the schools that we were hoping to get accepted to, which is ironic. Um, and I get a phone call from one of the schools that was the third school that we had applied to that I was, you know, I liked, but it wasn't like my top choice because of course my choice is different than what necessarily was the right place. And they said, we have room in first grade. We don't have room in second, but you mentioned that you might be open to that because my son 
is an April baby. So he's, he's that weird age uh -huh. where he was the youngest and now he's the oldest. So it was kind of like an okay age to put him back. And I was like, okay, let me think about it. We talked to, we talked to a couple people and it was like, he, he needs to, he needs, you know, he, it would benefit him to redo it, especially if he's going to a new school. And then we went into lockdown. So it was this crazy, oh. the universe has your back, right? Like, oh my God. The fact that he got to redo first grade in a new school with social emotional growth, they had him back in the classroom for two hours by October of 2020. So all of the kids that were from kindergarten through second were able to go back right, on campus right. because the school was so small. And so he got into this amazing progressive private school. I hate that we have to pay for school in this country, but the reality is not it's not a one size fits all education it just isn't and when you are dealing yeah. with a child who is you know now that i know so much more about adhd it's not just hyperactivity it's not just attention it's emotional dysregulation it's impulse control issues which we were which is really how we learned that this was something that he was dealing with it's the anxiety and like the real depression and all of these things that are comorbid with it and what i what i learned about myself when all of a sudden I sat down on the couch and started reading how it presents in women. I sat on the couch for three hours, just bawling. Like my whole childhood would have looked different. I'm looking at all of the opportunities my son has in this school and really wishing that I had had those same things. I'm realizing that my life has been, I have done okay in spite of, you know, and I think knowing now that some of the things that I've always struggled with, because I've always felt a bit off and not really known what that was, now that I can put a name and a face to it and I'm not alone, I, I it's like opened up this whole wide open world of like, oh my God, there's other people that are just as weird as me and totally get why I'm like this. <laughs> and it's like my my... So that all happened like around the time of going into lockdown. And I had been very lucky that in January of 2020, I'm just, ta I'm tangenting because that's another thing. Um, yeah. I had spent a week at um, this retreat that my sister had done. And she was like, Jess, you, you have to go. Like, this is just groundbreaking. And I had never heard of it. But now it's like this super popular retreat that, celebrities have done so it's kind of I kind of feel funny even saying that I went but I did this thing called the Hoffman process which um, is basically just a really big self-inflection week and I've never done any self-help stuff I don't even read self-help books that's never been my my thing um, but it was a lot of writing and a lot of self-forgiveness and a lot of kind and I hadn't even figured out I had ADHD at this point Truly, like this was prior to all of this. This all kind of happened during lockdown. But the way that I was set up going into lockdown was like truly the best possible things I had gone through this process. So I'm coming out all like doe-eyed and like the world is amazing. And I get home and the whole world implodes with my kids' school. Like all this stuff went down, which I'm not even going to touch on, but it was traumatic both my husband and I still have PTSD. It was really awful. And then COVID happened. It was like, oh, thank God that happened because now we don't have to send him to school with all of these awful things that keep happening. And then he got into a new school 
And I just had that kind of epiphany of the universe needs a pause or the the planet needs a pause. And like, I had this very good outlook on it. And it was actually maybe my favorite time parenting because I really, I wasn't working at the time. I I just decided to take some time off. I wasn't looking for work. I just was like, this is, (laughs) this is, this is COVID. I'm going to focus on the, my number one priority, which is my child, you know? So Jake and I got to know each other really, really well. And I saw him for the first time, like not as why does this kid keep having tantrums? Why can't he get his shit together? Why can't he do this? I was more like, I see where he's struggling. I see that he is so smart and so bright and so emotionally intelligent, but he also has terrible impulse control. So when somebody gets him angry or someone hurts him, he will retaliate like that. And he most of the time won't start something, but he'll finish it. <laughs> like, and that is 100% me. Like I meet people, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but don't cross me. Like I've, you know what I mean? There's definitely like, there's, there's similarities in that, you know, I have terrible rejection sensitivity disorder. Terrible. I think everyone hates me. It's this awful self negative talk that I unfortunately have listened to for far too long in my life, which, you know, I've told it to shut up so many times over the past couple of years. Do you do you, no, I was just wanted to ask, do you ha, have you figured out where that comes from? Because I have that too, that self negative self talk thing that, that we do and 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 I'm I'm still trying to figure out really where it comes from. But do you do, in your case, do you know? I mean, honestly, I I don't wanna be that person that's like, it's all ADHD fault. You know, like I don't wanna say right. it like that, but there is there is truth to that. And I think people that meet me, and I would say the same thing about you, because I feel like you and I are very, you know, like, like, cut from the same kind of cloth. We're very extroverted. We're very gregarious. We're very charismatic. People do like us. But there's always this inner part that for us is extremely introverted and constantly second guessing or for me at least, second guessing how that conversation went. Did I come off like a fucking idiot? <laughs> Did I say something stupid? Like yeah. I will I will ruminate on that for I'll still go back ten years from now about some conversation I had in Cannes or something, going, Oh, I was such an idiot, you know, like just whatever <laughs> it is. And I think it really comes yeah. from there because I'm not an of course everyone has insecurities, but as a human being I'm not an insecure person. So it's very odd. And it's usually when it comes to relationships. Right. Like if I'm in a, I don't like big cliques of people. I get very uncomfortable when it's like a gang of people. I'm much better one-on-one. So like there's little things I've learned about myself over the yeah. past couple of years that just make sense. And for so long, I've been doing what I didn't realize was masking it. And I didn't even know what that was until I'm like, oh my God, like when I force myself to do things that are so uncomfortable for me, like, as I was saying to you earlier, acoustically, like I pick up on like sounds in, in, in spaces that can be really distracting for me. I couldn't eat, I couldn't eat at certain restaurants because their acoustics were so bad. 
Like El Carmen on third, I love that place so much, but it's full of tile. So if you're sitting on yeah. the bar, you could hear somebody like in the bathroom and it would drive me batty because sonically, sensory processing wise, I'm picking up everyone's conversation. So it's fucking loud in here. <laughs> It's super loud. So between like yeah, your conversation yeah. and my negative self-talk and some like the part of the conversation that I can't wait to get to because I'm that person when I'm talking to someone, I'll have like a thought and it'll take everything out of my body not to interrupt. And I'm learning how to work with that. But what's great is I do understand my kid. We we had we went on hikes during the time during lockdown. I would get him outside, take him to the beach and have real conversations with him. And I, I cherish that time. Like it was, it was, you know, I called it mommy school. You know, we just did stuff and really talked about like yeah. who he is as a person. And I'll never be able to get that kind of time with him again. So I really took advantage of it. Yeah. Or tried. So it was a weird, like, I did too. <laughs> but you're kind of like, okay, yeah. how old are your kids? Well, I have five. So my kids range I in forgot. age. My my grown kids my go my grown my sons are thirty and twenty eight and my daughter's twenty five and then my younger daughters are fourteen and eight. But you're so, only forty. Uh, so how so is that a, Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> you know. But basically, you know, the I I felt the same exact thing you did about the pause, that the world needed a pause, that that as scary as all of this was and as 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 much as we, you know, lost the the there was a chance to just kind of slow down a little bit and spend more time with the, the kids that were still home. It was hard because I couldn't really at first see the ones that weren't home. And my older daughter lives in Israel, so she's so she was even further away during that time. Plus, she got married during 2020. Well, I was able to go, but it's okay. to, to Israel for it, get a special visa and stuff. But still, it was like, you know, it was it was a slower moment, and I'm sure that whatever good things are happening now are a result of the time that I took to reflect on where I was at and what I wanted to do. Not, not that it didn't come at a cost, but it was, it was, we didn't have a choice. So it's not like right. I could sit here and go, oh yeah, it was totally worth it. No, of course not. I would rather that we didn't lose people. I lost yeah. a friend, you know, I, I mean, there were people yeah. that were lost to COVID that right. I knew personally that, you know, so, uh, you know, all of that stuff that we couldn't change you know, is affecting us and the trauma is affecting the kids and all of those things. But there was a, there was a connection that I had while we were doing the homeschooling stuff, it, you know, that I never had with any of my other kids where, where, you know, our daughter was actually in kindergarten during when COVID hit and then had to do first grade through kind of a prism, a weird kind of prism. And then second grade was a little more normal but it was still like a recovery year in a way. But it was an interesting thing considering that the world, look at if, if we didn't have it, 
probably the we would have destroyed ourselves by now because oh. the world is in such a like a collision course with sanity that really I I don't know that we would have made it without without COVID. That sounds crazy to say and I never no, it, said that before. But it's it's kind of true, but it also I feel like it went even more extreme during and more extreme after. And that's where yeah. I, I think I, I saw well, yeah. something. Yeah, but it wasn't getting any better at the time. No. You know? No. So we, I, there was this weird article. I, I'm not even sure if it was like a Borowitz report or like The Onion, but I'm pretty sure it was a real article where it said that right. NASA had mentioned that there's literally something off in the universe. And I feel like somewhere out there, like a butterfly wing flapped and the whole course got set on a different path. Because we are kind of living through the modern dark ages. I mean, it feels very medieval. Like, it feels, like, just heavy. And, you know, it sounds like our, our children are in the same grade now. Jake was Jake will be going into third grade. And, yeah. you know, the, the education yeah, that these kids are having is very different from anything we've ever seen before. You know, the, the amount of things that he actually is exposed to and can look up on his own is unbelievable where school is kind of, I hate to say it, but secondary to what he's learning on his own. It's the more of like the, 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 what's the word? Not colloquial, but the general education, you know, but all the facts that he's learning, these are things that he picks up on his own when he wants to, you know, hyper-focus on the Titanic, for instance, which was a big topic at our house for a long time. If you yeah. need to know anything about it, I have a lot of information for you. <laughs> um, no, it, it's, it's, it, it is yeah. a weird, it's a weird time. It's a weird time to be a parent. It's, it's, you know, I actually read an article recently about Gen X and I had posted something on LinkedIn, which got a lot of likes. I was like, oh my God, is this LinkedIn viral? This is amazing. <laughs> I got very excited. I never get excited when yeah. anyone likes anything, but I actually noticed. And, you know, we are, ra we are raising children in an era where it, differs so much from our own childhood and our childhood looked more like our yeah. dad our parents childhood minus you know video games and arcades but like we didn't have cell phones we didn't have this like urgency in the same way that we have now and i'm constantly learning and i can't keep up with everything you know i'm trying to be like a really responsible mom when it comes to to screen time and internet access but all of a sudden he'll be in the other room talking to somebody i'm like who the fuck are you talking to and he's got his vr headset on he's playing some game with like a kid in new york and i'm like mm, is it really a child though you know <laughs> just yeah right anyway. who is it and what is it so it's just yeah. weird we, and their currency is well, different yeah, actually, my my eight year old asked asked us. We were coming back from a vacation and taking the car out of the airport parking lot, and as we paid to exit, she was she was like, "What is? What do we really need money for? What do you really need money for?" And and started having this conversation about it, and and if, and it was really interesting because of, because as kids do, they bring up a lot of good points too, yeah. like who sets the standard for money like why can you why can the government just print money and then you can you have monopoly money but that's not good enough why is it up to the government <laughs> right right i'm like yeah what well, is the gold standard hopefully yeah. fix all this shit 
I hope I have hope. I hope your your generation could fix this shit. Yeah. Well, I have I have hope because I don't like the alternative, which is to have no hope. That's why that's why when we get on this show, one of the fun things that we get to do is talk about like the the human aspect of of not just all these things but business as well because we're trying to you know we got a little moment there where we were forced out we didn't really opt out we were forced out of work for a moment or for a year in some cases or but nothing's been the same nothing nothing in my life professionally really resumed exactly as it was i no. it, it was some by choice and some by happenstance so with your deep history in music and your deep love for music and i have listened to some of your some of your songs by the way very very cool oh, i'm going to share them oh, yeah. also with my son yeah he's he's very into into he's a he's a, he's a writer but he's like a very good critical writer so he writes film criticism he writes music criticism and all oh, that I stuff love that. but he's he has really good taste so and both my sons do but my other son who's a jeweler is and is in law school also Wow. is more tuned into hip hop and rap and all that stuff where my where my other son where my older son is into alt rock and obscure bands and yeah. kind of you know cool albums that he discovers that nobody's really heard of or or they they were from 1997 but now like he's discovered them and yeah. you know it's very very yeah. interesting so Anyway, so I loved your music. That was my point. Oh, thank um, you. I, I threw everything up on my you, website. So, so in 2021, you launched Gem, right? So yeah. what was the what was the thinking behind this next evolution of your career? Well, it's funny. I had had that as a DBA since I got into this business. So Gem was kind of a, just name wise. It was a little bit of a nod to my dad's company, which was. Wem Warren Entner Management. He used to manage rock bands growing up, so I that was like a nod to that, and right, also right. Rage Against the Machine. And indeed, you remember, yeah. So it was an interesting childhood. I will tell you that I'm watching a <laughs> train wreck on Netflix, the Woodstock '99, and I'm having like I didn't go, but I'm having like flashbacks the about dark, how terrible. Yeah. Oh my god, it's amazing. Anyway. Yeah, so I, I I had always been toying with like, you know, doing something more with it. I had been freelancing for a bit and I'm sure you'll have more women entrepreneur types on this show who will say very similar things, but I had worked mostly for small companies. I had been the female, like the only female at certain com at a few companies, and I had built companies for other people several times and done quite well and didn't really reap any of the benefits other than I was a really good employee, you know, and I took a COVID job after, you know, realizing that I wasn't going to put Jake in through any Zoom school with the school that we were pulling him out of. We just didn't do that. So when he started school again, with, I took on a job in October of 2020 and I started working for this company out of Canada, out of Montreal, and they had a great sync library, a wonderful sync library, but they were trying to position themselves as a, and I'll get to the whole gem thing, but I have to kind of go through this first. So they had positioned themselves as yes. this like tech company, like a platform, you know, where, where, where producers can go and purchase music online. 
And the problem with that is you're fixing a problem that doesn't exist for advertisers. It just doesn't. Maybe for film and TV, but nobody is going to look at a music company as a tech company or as an e-commerce company. It's a vendor. You're a vendor. You're only as good as your catalog. So I kind of came in. I'm like, you guys need to focus on the catalog, not, not your tech story, because nobody really cares about that. So I started changing their whole, like, mission statements and prop value and all these things that I'd never even heard people say before, but all of a sudden I'm the one coming up with all of this. And I'm, I'm on these calls and I'm getting talked over and my husband's listening from the other room and it's the first time he really heard like what it's like to be a woman in business. And he, I'd get off yeah. the phone and he'd say, God, I, I've heard you have the same conversation every week. And I'm like, yeah, it's frustrating and then get talked over or have somebody else re-explain it. And it got to the point where like other people on calls would like tell the person that continued to do that, like, hey, let her finish. And it, I was just tired. Yeah. I was tired. Yeah. I was getting to the point where I had seen the same thing happen over and over. And I kept going, okay, I'm the problem because I keep taking on these jobs and I keep saying yes to everything. And I keep devaluing myself to the point where I'm now attaching myself to things that I don't even know if I want to put on my resume, do you know? And that was like a big wake up call for me. Yeah. And one day I just very unceremoniously just was like, so today is my last day. And it was a consulting job. And it was like, I was only supposed to be with them for three months. I was, it was eight months in cause I was scared to, you know, it was a, it was a paycheck, but they weren't really paying me all that well. And I just was, it was just time. And I went, okay, and then I got pitched on a big project for music and it was like a seven, sorry, six figure music job, which never happens. God, I wish it was a seven figure music yeah. job, but it was a six figure music right, job. Yeah, well. And, and I had always been a little bit nervous about like, you insurance, cause sometimes it can get really expensive. And somebody gave me a wonderful tip, which allowed me to have, you insurance at the highest level, which is a big deal. Cause you know, Omnicom and some of these major holding companies won't, won't work with you unless you're an approved vendor who has coverage up to 5 million for, for music, just cause there's always weird issues these days. So once I knew that I kind of just went, fuck it. And I just jumped and I jumped because I had a job. I had, I had a project to work on. And then slowly but surely I started getting clients coming through and I started working on projects that weren't just original music or music supervision. I was getting pulled in and this is where the strategy comes in because I think people are still kind of confused. Like what's, what's music strategy. It's kind of a new term that I'm, I'm coining, but what that really entails is getting on the phone with the creatives before they even pitch to brands, if they have any type of music ideas, because I have now been on so many projects where without any intention behind it, the cre- I mean, like no, no bad intention behind it. They want to sell their idea through, but like maybe a creative team puts, I, I worked on a project where they, the examples were like Maroon 5, Pearl Jam and somebody else. And they're huge bands you can't afford to get that kind of band if your budget's only a million dollars for the whole thing. So having those conversations first so that you can actually pitch correct, you know, bands within your budget 
or if you're looking to do an activation where you want to bring in an influencer who has 2 million followers, like who can, who can we pitch this idea to who can come on board and be part of our activation experience where we can get, you know, organic views through using an, a music influencer. So I'm really trying to kind of explain to people why having these conversations before you get into that, oh my God, we shot something and now we have no idea what we want to put on it or we have this great idea, but now the client is totally sold on Pearl Jam, but we only have $2 to rub together. So that's kind of where it comes in. And there's just so much you can do with music now. I mean, it's so much above and beyond just the syncing or the original composition. People connect with music. They connect with, you know, vulnerability. They connect with the stories behind the music. They're connecting with, with talent that we might not know about. Like, I love Love, love, love Lizzo. I think she's maybe the best thing to ever happen. Yeah. However, she is becoming the Shaquille O'Neal of <laughs> branding it's to the point <laughs> where everyone wants to use her, which rightfully so. But there's there's other people right behind Lizzo that have huge followings that you can utilize. So it's kind of thinking of it as a bigger picture. Like, what demographic are you trying to attract for your brand? Yeah. Well, if you're trying to att attract Gen Alpha and Gen Z, guess what they love doing? Finding their own stuff, right? They love it, just like we did. Like, yeah. oh, have you ever heard of this band? My kid turned me on, and I love it because he's super musical, and he's like me, where he'll go down a rabbit hole and, like, find stuff. He is obsessed with this kid called Boy With Uke, who became hugely famous over the pandemic and plays a ukulele and sings these kind of like half sung, half hip, like kind of spoken word type songs, really good beats, but they're all made on GarageBand and he wears a mask. Right. And my son is um, just loves him to death. I was very lucky that I was able to take him to the sound check at the Roxy. So he got to meet him and it was like the best core memory making <laughs> moment I've ever had as a mother. But he found him on Roblox. You know, it's like these kids are are absorbing music ah, in okay. different ways. And that right. interests me too. It's like Roblox, I know a couple production companies that are building experiences in Roblox. Like I want to be part of those projects. I want to be part of the like ideation of the experience and the Web3 community and all of these things that are kind of the next phase of where we're going because that's what my son is exposing me to. And I have to make sure that, I mean, I'm using him as my like little guinea pig of like, what are you doing over there? What are you playing over there? You know? Yeah. So well, it makes us, it makes us a little more sophisticated because the kids are so sophisticated and I'm look, I'll be, I'll be honest. I don't, my older daughter, every kid is different. So my, my, 25-year-old daughter, when she was 14, was going through one set of things. And my 14-year-old now is, it go, is has a whole different... Like, her life experience is so different from her older sisters that it's like... Yeah. It just can't compare the two. But I don't, I don't understand a lot of what they say at this age. I was also younger when my, when my older <laughs> daughter was, was that age. So I was, I was, you know, 10 years younger than... than you know, so it's like... I don't understand. I literally don't understand, but I don't feel old at all. And then no. I have the the eight-year-old and I'm trying to let the eight-year-old teach me some of these lessons. And I look at it rather than being like a parent who's going to teach the kid everything. I look at it as an exchange. I'm like, okay, I will teach you about certain things that you don't know about. 
and you teach me about this stuff that that you know about. And then, of course, the teenager's like, well, you don't know anything. So right, you, right. Really can't, you can't it, teach, teach a teenager something because you don't know anything. It's but, so weird. It's so weird, too, right. like having kids after being a child yourself and still feeling young. Like, oh, my God, we're the old people well, that's now. that's the best way to have kids is after being a child yourself. I that's, think unless you've been a child yourself, you shouldn't get into it at all. You shouldn't are, get it. And unless people, you don't still feel like a child. In some yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm still a large teenager. I think that's why. I mean, I'll still have like full blown arguments with my kid where my husband's like, seriously? Ser-? I'm like, what? He started it. You know, like, there's still like a point <laughs> where that's, that's like a normal reaction. You know, my poor husband, he does, he always says, he goes, oh God, there's two of you. It just, everything made, everything even made sense for him. You know, and he's like, now I'm raising. Yeah. You know, a version of you that I did not think this raising was is what raising it right. It's well, weird. Okay, so I want to I want to I want to jump into this thing now because I haven't talked about it on the show at all, but because you're an advertising friend and you understand the business, I want to throw this at you. What I'm what I'm going to do. So with this podcast, Truth Tastes Funny, it's got this very. You know, it has an emphasis on on dealing with the truth, truths that are sometimes not palatable that we still have to that taste a little weird, but we have to get them down somehow. We know humor makes it easier for the truth to digest. But along those lines, I'm reviving a podcast. It's a podcast that I did maybe six, seven years ago, but I I did it only with friends in the industry, and I had some comedian friends and some ad friends, but. It was called Yes Brand, and it was based on the improv rule of yes and, which is, you know, someone makes an offer, says a statement, something, and you say yes and. You know, you the person says, Mar- Martians just came into my bathroom, and I say yes, and they eat toilet paper or whatever it is. And yep. so I'm, I found myself doing that with brand clients as a consultant where – I would ask them to go with me, go with a premise. Just go with a premise. You don't have to do this crazy idea or anything. Just go with a premise and add to it. And that will help you open your mind because I found a lot of clients are very scared when it comes to pulling the trigger on on yeah. ideas that I'm often very convinced they should try. Yeah. And obviously we have these ideas. You have the same thing with strategy and ideas for music, bands you want to break and new artists and things. You know, and it's like sometimes they just have to expand their minds a little bit. So this podcast will have brand CEOs and CMOs come on and play with me, basically, not strictly play. I mean, there's a format. It's what I would do in in consulting, but it's but it's more playful and it's shorter. It's like a half hour episode. And because I find that a lot of my guests are also saying, well, what do you do for a living? Like, what is your what is your superpower in in business? You know, obviously you're an extremely gifted <laughs> podcast host, but what do you do? And you do comedy, but what do you do like business? And so, I, so it was like a light bulb went off and I was like, yeah, I should do a podcast mm-hmm. where brands come on. We talk about very honestly and openly because this whole authenticity thing and, you know, is 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 really people are missing the boat, I think, on that I a do lot. Too. They're, they're authentic because they have to be. Well, that's not a way to be authentic. The way to be authentic is to come out and say, 
yeah, here's some really great things about our product. Here's some challenges we face in messaging. Here's some areas where people get it wrong about us. Here's something we fixed. Right. And for the brands that are brave enough, they come on and we play a little bit and I give them a really kind of crazy or outlandish or could be even a very affecting human idea. And and they and they have to pretend for a few minutes that we're going to really do it. And yep. then sometimes they will, but they don't they don't have to. So I'm, I'm throwing that out there for our listeners now to be aware to look out for the Yes Brand podcast, because that'll be more of a, I think, ultimately a branded entertainment yeah. enterprise, because I think once it takes off, brands will pay to come on. And they'll sponsor the show and it'll be brought to you by the sponsor, but they'll get to talk honestly and openly about their about their brand. Even so, better, like you can create some content that they can put on your podcast. You can be like, see, see how this works? See what we came up with? Right. Prove the point. Yeah, we'll we'll produce we'll produce some stuff. Yeah. I am I am planning on having as the show grows. I mean, it's not something I could do right away, but having a, I have a friend who's a very gifted comedian. She's ADHD also. She was a guest on the show. She does, she does comedy and she does music. And who is this she woman? She's very quick <laughs> and she's very quick. Well, I'll introduce you. Please. And she's, and she's very quick. And, and I want to have her play keyboards, you know, on the show, on the podcast. So when when we say to it, oh, let's get a, let's do a jazz thing. We're going to do a little jazz riff with this thing and we'll make up lyrics and we'll make up words, but we'll add a musical, we'll add a, a musical thing to it. Oh my goodness. Um, well, if her you... name, her name is Elizabeth Bennett is her name, by the way, Liz Bennett. I feel like but, I um, know that name, but maybe it's a you good name may from somewhere from, good name. I mean, she's done improv and she's done, she's, you know, but she's, but she recently discovered that she is ADHD, and we talked about that on on our episode. Yeah, go back and listen to that episode. I will. Uh, I listened to from, a few from this this podcast. I had listened to a few, but I missed that one. I will go listen to it. I think there's a lot of us late discoverers, especially female gendered. We were not diagnosed yeah. at all for most of the '70s, '80s, and '90s. So we're all kind of like, "Fuck." Well, <laughs> I don't know why I, I don't know. I, I know I have something, but I don't know, but I don't want to presume to know what it is. Like, I don't like, I, like, I don't know that I have anything that has a real name. I just, I just know that I don't conform exactly to the yeah. kind of specifications that some of the society really, you know, demands, but I did well in school. I mean, I, I did fine in school. I think if anything, like, you know, my son has Asperger's. I think for him, it was a, a struggle when we, when he didn't know, you know, and yeah. then, uh, and then once he knew it was, it was really all about finding schools that could even manage or do anything, yep. you know, and it was really the failing of, of, you know, the school system, private and public, honestly. Totally, public, it, it is. Pu yeah. Ultimately he thrived in a more, in like a privately funded public, like open to the public right. school, right. but not after a lot of, you know, money was, you know, but a lot of money was spent on like well, private you do, school and as, that, didn't, as a, that didn't, 
as a child, you know, it, it's your kid now, and we are different types of parents than our parents were. You know, I mean, God knows, I feel like I raised myself for most of my childhood, yeah. which I probably actually did. You know, and I don't no no disrespect to my parents, but like, it was. <laughs> It was a half-assed job, yeah. at least, you know, it wasn't really like, I didn't, I, there was a lot of stuff <laughs> I didn't do. And my mom was British, so there was a lot of stuff, like, raising me as a single mom, she didn't even know that she needed to pay attention to, you know? But I, I, I definitely think, you know, knowing what you're dealing with, even as, it, like, I, I see how empowered that makes my child, like... He, you know, to the point where I'm like, no, you don't get to blame everything on it. Like, that's a you thing. And you have to work on it now that you know that your brain works this way. It's your job to say, that's my brain telling me to do that, but that's not what I should do. And you kind of have to start like twisting certain things so that you can accommodate the world. They're not going to always accommodate to you. So he's a great advocate for himself. But it is it is very interesting, and I do what like what you not to, not to be like her should totally have ADHD, but I can send you some stuff because that's how I felt. Like I don't know what it is, but the more I read and the more I connected with it, I actually started a whole different Instagram handle because I was following so much ADHD content that it was yeah. clouding my feed. So I started a whole different handle and found you know forty thousand Instagram communities of ADHD of people like me and I'm going oh my god this is real like we all have this so I'll, I'll send you some funny things because you might go huh it's interesting but it's spectrumy right yeah there are people that could focus in class who still had ADHD you know it, it's degrees yeah. it's degrees like you might be well that's what's coming out yeah yeah about it now is that is that it isn't it isn't defined by attention specifically it's not, yeah. it's not it's there are behaviors that are associated with it that we wouldn't have thought previously right. are ADHD behaviors but you know the, the 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 good part is that we've we've already gone through the era of just medicating kids right and just you know like right right just take a pill you'll be fine pill in their mouth yeah. Take a pill. And I you know, I'll take pills as well if 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 they're if they serve a purpose, you know, and and there and there isn't really like it's not cut and dried. It's not like medicine bad and you know, uh uh therapy good. It's just it's a it's a question of understanding what you what we're what what our challenges are and you know, and and like you started out in the beginning of our conversation talking about going on that retreat and then learning and then also learning to love yourself that is the single most important thing i think from all of the stuff that we're going through today and i'll give you the last word and you can kind of take us out with some some thoughts for the audience as well but i think that 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 the that loving ourselves is a really really good good start because if we can teach our kids to do that then they're gonna do better than they would otherwise. Absolutely, that's for sure. I, you know, I do have a good thing to go out, and it and it sums up everything. It really does. It sums up taking on your own business. It sums up getting through the pandemic. It sums up just life in general. My son is very, very resistant to any type of schoolwork. Right, even though he actually knows how to do most of it. He just gets in his head and he's, he says, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Tantrums. Like every, it's, a, there's at least five fights a day, but I can't. And I looked at him one day and I go, listen, 
I know that you can, and I know that deep down, you know that you can, but I'm not always going to be with you. And you need to realize that you have to be your own loudest and best cheerleader. And until you can be that for yourself, you're going to feel like things are impossible, but they're not. And for me, I've had to learn that lesson and I've only learned it in the past five years. I hate to say that. I feel like I'm completely arrested development. Like, I feel like I'm 25. I'm like, I got this shit now, you know, like I'm now coming into my own, but like raising my son, I'm telling him things that I fucking wished somebody had said to me, know your worth, know you're valuable. Yes. You're not great at everything. You're absolutely terrible at that, but you know what you do have? You got charisma, you got personality kid, and you'll be just fine. And that's really what, you know, as long as you believe in yourself and you know that you can actually accomplish something, whether it's hard or not, you have to, it has to come from you. It's not going to come from anybody else. And that, with that said and done, Hirsch, <laughs> that's my gift to your audience, that little piece of wisdom I've acquired. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. Well, thank you for, for doing the show. I hope as your first podcast experience, this is, has been fulfilling. We had some technical shit that we were, that we were working through, but that's all part of the process. Yes. That's part of the process. Great one. I'm so glad that that you were my my first Hirsch. I really do. It makes me feel. Oh, it was my honor. It was. It. It. This has been so enjoyable to just like see your face, talk to you, have a good conversation. So thank you for. And I can't wait to hear your Yes brand. If you ever need a musical ideator, I'm happy to work with Liz. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.